This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to David Dag Murray, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. David also just wrote us this five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, David Barkertley, and all of the guests and celebrities who are on Geek's Guide. Every time I listen to the podcast, my curiosity gets sparked in a new way, and I feel like I'm at home with fellow geeks. Great job. Love the podcast. So big thanks again to David Dag Murray for that great review, and for supporting us on Patreon. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents... The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 494 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the movies Weird Science, Inner Space, Escape from New York, Night of the Comet, and Tower of the Duck. And this will involve spoilers for all of those movies, so just be aware of that. And we've previously discussed 80s science fiction movies back in episodes 378 and 490, so definitely check those out if you missed them. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her 23rd appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's been a television writer, producer, and script supervisor for shows such as Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Chew and WWE's Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. And she's currently shopping her reality show, The Night. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Good to be back. Then next up, we've got Matthew Kressel, also making his 23rd appearance on the show. He's the author of the novel King of Shards, and his short story, Now We Paint Worlds, was just published on Tor.com. Together with Ellen Datlow, he hosts the monthly Fantastic Fiction Reading Series at the KGB Bar in New York. And his second novel, Queen of Static, is available now on his Patreon page over at patreon.com slash mattkressel. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Good to be back. And also joining us today is Tom Gerenser, making his 22nd appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Galaxy's Edge and in books such as New Voices and Science Fiction. He's the author of the business book Think Like Google and the short story collection Intergalactic Refrigerator Repairman Seldom Carry Cash. And his popular science book, How It's Made, written for the Discovery Channel, will be out in December. So, Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's start off with Andrea, and have you tell us about your history with these five movies. Um, well, some of them uh, I've seen a million times, and some of them, or actually I should just say one of them, uh, I've, I've only seen this first time was yesterday. That's Howard the Duck. But the rest of them, I uh, I know fairly well, um, and you know, which, like, which one have you seen a million times? Oh, Weird Science! Uh, that was okay. cornerstone of my teenage years. Uh, it's one of those movies that I can still quote, however many years it's been later. There's you know, there's there's lines from that movie I still roll out, even though nobody knows the reference except me. <laughs> uh, but I still <laughs> use them. Yeah, I would know them. Andrea. You would know them. You, you would. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other ones, you've like Inner Space, Night uh, of the Comet, Escape from New York. Uh, 
Night of the Comet, I loved when it came out, but I have not seen it in years. Inner Space, I remember very well uh, when it came out. Again, haven't seen it in years. And um, Escape from New York, I must have seen a million times, but um, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched them. So all of them I haven't watched in years, the ones that I know very well. But Yeah, and just to make it clear for listeners, so this is a panel of movies that we remember being awesome when we saw them back in the 80s. And we're going, and we just rewatched them, and we're, we're going to let you know whether we still think that they're awesome. <laughs> uh, but the awesomeness is uh, is somewhat retrospective in, in nature. Yeah. Um, and so then, how about Matt? What's your uh, history with these five movies? Um, I had seen all of them. Uh, I don't think I have ever seen Night of the Comet all the way through. And for some reason, I always confuse this movie with Maximum Overdrive. So when people said, "Oh, have you ever seen Night of the Comet?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I've seen that movie a lot." And then, and then I, when I sat down to watch this, I'm like, "Holy crap, I've never seen this movie." So that was that was interesting. And um, the other one that I, so Howard the Duck was one of those movies that I didn't like as a child. I know we're going to get into this, and I avoided I avoided watching it. Like I've never seen it all the way through. And this was the first time where I think I I actually sat through the whole thing. <laughs> and um, lived to tell the tale. <laughs> yes. So I know we'll get into our thoughts on that. But I, I um, Weird Science, I've seen a lot. I don't know if I've seen it enough to quote it. Um, Inner Space, I do quote it, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> my God, I'm possessed. And, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, and Escape, yeah. Escape from New York, uh, of course, I've seen that. Uh, but not, not as many times as, uh, as Inner Space or Weird Science. Okay, and then how about Tom? Uh, yeah, Weird Science I had seen many, many times when I was younger and then hadn't watched it for probably about 30 years. And then uh, Escape from New York is one of those movies I just watch every once in a while and I've always I've always liked it. I just, I'm a sucker for Kurt Russell and, uh, you know, who doesn't love Lee Van Cleef? But Night of the Comet uh, had never actually seen that movie, had never seen it, thought I had seen it. But when I started watching it, I was like, nope. Nope, never don't remember any of this except for the uh the comet at the beginning. I was like, wait, that's from Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not the only one. Not at all. And Inner Space I had seen in the movie theater when I was when it came when it first came out and and thought it was a fun movie and then uh hadn't seen it since. And then Howard the Duck had never seen all the way through um until this week. So Okay, so you guys have seen these more than I have then, because I, I only saw Weird Science once in the movie theater when it came out. I think I only saw Inner Space once in the movie theater when it came out. I remembered both of those being great. Uh, I had lots of friends who were always talking up Escape from New York, but I think I'd only ever seen the beginning on TV, because I, I definitely remember the part with the president's uh, escape pod being found empty, but I'm not sure I ever saw a lot more of the movie than that. Um, Night, Night of the Comet I'd never even heard of before. Hmm. And Howard, Howard, the reason Howard the Duck is on here is because I remember very distinctly coming out of the movie theater as a kid when I saw it. I would have been like eight and saying, that's my new favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. then I'd never seen it again. But and, and then like people would be like, that was the worst movie of all time. And I was like, no, it was as a kid. I was like, no, it was it was good. And then, like, after a while, I just stopped saying that. Um, so I was, <laughs> you valued your friendships? Yeah, I was just curious. Was, so was, was peer curious pressure to go, or you actually thought it was bad? Like, which is it? No, it was peer pressure. Oh, it was peer okay, pressure. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you still like it to this day? 
Well, we're going to get into that. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, so let's, but I mean, really the reason that we, we were doing this panel is because, um, Andrea really wanted to talk about weird science. I did. And, and none of the comet. <laughs> and, and none of the comet. Yeah. So, um, so let's start off with weird science. So the premise here and all, all that I remember, like, of this movie was the scene where they're choosing there's like the wireframe of yeah. the woman's breasts and they're choosing how big they want her breasts to be that was the only <laughs> that was the only part of the movie I, I remembered from when i was like yeah like seven um but yeah so the premise of the movie is that there's these two unpopular teenage boys and they use their computer to create a perfect woman uh and then she kind of like teaches them or sort of yeah teaches them to be popular i guess or or whatever stand up for themselves um, yeah but so, so Andrea, talk more about the role that weird science has played in your life. Well, I, I'm, it's definitely a movie I remember seeing in the theater. Um, I remember absolutely loving it. Uh, and, you know, everything from the music, which is Oingo Boingo, um, yeah. to, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, um, uh, everything about it I love, loved as a teenager. In retrospect, and here's where I full dis- in retrospect, I still love it. It still makes me <laughs> laugh. It still doubles me over with laughter. But boy, is it problematic. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. you know, as all the other, and this conversation came up a couple of years ago about the pro, you know, the problematic issues with John Hughes movies. Cause I grew up with those John Hughes movies. I love them. But when you look back at it as an adult, you realize, Oh my God, this is kind of terrible <laughs> some of the things that happen um and when you you know as an adult as an adult woman um the misogyny is just over the top in some scenes um i was actually starting to count how many times um a woman was called uh, a crazy bitch or stupid bitch there was bimbo there was hussies um you know, the word faggot got rolled out as it is in a couple of, um, John Hughes movies. I, sorry, I've gone right off into the, the political thing here, but I, I feel like I need to address it right off the bat because I still love this movie. Um, it's, it's a hilarious movie with a lot of really big problems about women. Um, yeah. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? <laughs> Well, why don't we why don't we come back to the problematic aspects yeah. in a second? Uh, I'm going to start off with just that I I remember this being great, but like I said, I didn't remember anything about it other than the very basic premise. Uh, and this was like way worse than I remembered um, because of the I thought the plot basically didn't exist. Um, so that's what I'm gonna. <laughs> that's the first thing I'm going to focus on. But maybe maybe before I get on my whole rant about that, let's just get. Um, Matt and, and Tom in here. So, so Matt, just overall, what was it like coming back to, to weird science? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I, I, I definitely liked it as a kid, um, quite a bit, but I also, um, you know, was very much a nerd, although I didn't identify it, mm-hmm. I, willingly identify as a nerd in the eighties because, you know, now it's like people wear nerdiness as a badge, mm-hmm. but um, in the eighties it was not. It was it yes. was like something to be ashamed of. So like we were nerds before it was cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm kind of annoyed by it. Yeah. All these interlopers. 
Right. right? So, so like I, I recognize like that I had, I had a lot more in common, uh, a lot more in common with the, with the nerds than, than like the cool guys. And um, so I, I was always very like coy about my, my, uh, enjoying of this movie because I, I don't want to like it too much because then think people think i'm a nerd too and it, it was just such a like a uh oh, a nerdy thing to do but um <laughs> so uh yeah w- watching it now as an adult um you know similar to andrea in that um i laughed at at the scenes like um just anthony michael hall is just yeah he carries this movie he's he just does. so great um and uh but but well, the, I yeah, also the, think Kelly Kelly LeBrock. Is I was fantastic. just going to say, oh, like, yeah. Kelly LeBrock. She's like, fantastic. I, I remember, like, as a kid, thinking, like, oh, you know, she doesn't really say, like, she doesn't really do a lot. But like now, as an adult, I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh no, she's 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 great. And um, I, I just think, like, yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of problems with the representation of women. Like, the two girls are basically. Yeah. prizes for the boys like yep. they don't really have any individual characters to them you know they're, they're pretty much abused like their boyfriends just literally abandon them in the mall yeah to, to go after like like on an escalator like oh my god there's a hot girl see you later <laughs> yeah and like they just still like yeah oh you know oh those are just guys and and i mean i i think that the the message of the film is actually a good one. It's like, it's yes. basically like, like, you know, you shouldn't look for perfection. You, you know, um, you, you should look for someone who's real, who has, you know, who, ha- who, who may have flaws, you know, warts and all. And, and, but that is going to lead you to something more meaningful. And I think that they could have done that by making the, the girls have yeah. deeper characters. Yeah. And, and if they could show their strengths and their flaws, then it would make sense for, for them to, to, like it would be a more more powerful ending when they finally accept that oh I want to be with these real people with you know like I have warts too like clearly the the two yeah. main characters have a bunch of warts right so it would just be more meaningful if they recognized that they themselves were flawed and and they want to be with someone who's more like them also flawed also human um there was also like that yeah that level of ickiness where they're mm-hmm. just like it it basically was like you know, predates internet porn. It's like, let's go on the computer and, and, and make a perfect girl, right? Um, uh, yeah, and I think even even as a kid, when I saw this, I was like, there's something icky about this, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I think I think that was it. But uh, you know, even with all that, there, there's still some fun moments. Like I really like when the when the uh, zombie dudes arrive with the shotguns and tear up the party. The, and, yeah. the Mad Max guys. Yeah, yeah literally. Mad, I, yeah, literally. Actor. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and like I really love, you know, when when they turn Chet into a pile of like a like a little yeah. goblin feces goblin. Yeah. Um, Bill Bill yeah. Paxton also is fantastic. Bill Paxton is fantastic, yeah. and uh, like I hated him as a kid because yeah. he was like I identify like all the yep. all the bullies I ever had was was Bill Paxton's Chet, yeah. and and um, like I I think John Hughes was really good at um you know showing that the 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 nerds the outcasts like the non-popular kids like mm-hmm. really had really powerful strong feelings and were generally like ignored by most of most people like and and I like he he focuses in on them right cuz like that's most of his stuff is about like um 
is about that. And I, I think like that aspect of it, like just, just the, the, the way he, he shows how like, you know, desperate these guys are. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was actually kind of affecting yeah. um, in a way that these, they're just super lonely, but they're also clueless. Like they have, you know, in typical Gen X fashion, there's nobody home, right? The, the kids are just left on their own to do whatever they want. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, it's still fun, but it's definitely problematic. I don't think it, it would ever be made today. No. no. Let me, I want to get Tom in here too. So Tom, overall, what was your reaction to going back and watching this? Well, I'm going to land squarely in Andrea's camp that despite all its flaws, I still love it as a story of two nerds who desperately want the wrong thing and then almost learn to want the right thing. Like Matt said, they, they, I feel like those, the two female characters could have been a lot stronger. But, uh, having said that, I do want to get into the politics. I feel like every movie from the eighties that we discussed, we, we spend 10 minutes, you know, excusing the casual racism and sexism. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course they killed puppies in this movie back then. That's what we did. <laughs> we killed puppies. Um, and I think after a while I start to feel like I'm, I'm doing something wrong by saying that every time. And yeah, did, well. did, did anybody have a problem also with, as much as I love Anthony Michael Hall and as much as I loved this scene when I was, I know exactly years what old, you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. The jazz club. The jazz yeah, the club. The jazz yep. club. Yeah. I mean, it's, what every kid in my class endlessly yes. quoted that scene when we were kids and yes. we, we thought it was great. And this, and watching it as a grown up, I'm, I'm like, I was cringing through the whole thing. Yep. I was just like, Oh, yeah. this is horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no argument there. Yeah. I mean, I will, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. I think that the, the premise of this movie, I think is really good and is fine and is sort of universal. It's sort of, it's like Pygmalion, right? It's like, I, you know, just the idea of creating yeah. the perfect woman, I think is like, you know, whether you like that or not, I, I don't, I, I just think that's a part of human nature. And, you know, I don't think that that's, you know, people have been telling stories about that for, hundreds sure. or thousands of years. And I don't think that's ever going to really change. And, and I don't have any problem with that in and of itself. And I agree with Matt that the ending of this movie, I think, is the right ending, which is that they realize that this sort of like fantasy girl isn't what they really want. And it's better to form meaningful human connections with real people who have flaws and, and, and everything just like you. So I think the beginning of the movie is fine. I think the ending of the movie is fine. And and the problem for me is just that, like, nothing connects the beginning to the end. It's just, like, one scene that's sort of, like, funny uh, and weird and random after another. And so then all the character and there's basically no, there's essentially zero character development. And then so then there's this, like, really contrived thing at the climax where, like, uh, Lisa, who has magic powers for some reason, summons this <laughs> gang of biker mutants, and then the boys have to decide to be brave. And that's like 100% of the character and plot development is in that scene. And then we're into the, the denouement. So, so there's not really any character. We don't really see these, these boys going on a journey of, you know, becoming more confident or whatever. And then like what should, what to me would be the most interesting story element is where the popular guys come to them and say, could you create us a girl like this? And then there's sort of the moral dilemma of should they do that or like, you know, and and that to me would be really interesting, but then that just kind of like goes wrong and gets played for laughs. And so it's like, yeah, to to me, it's, it just, it's just sort of like a bunch of jokes that don't, and there's not really any character or plot development between the beginning and end of the movie. So any reactions to that? Yeah, I don't care. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I care that you care. I don't, the movie, and I but don't But you don't, this, you don't disagree, you don't disagree um, either. Not right? particularly. I, on this viewing, um, what I did notice at the end is they have the big scene where they stand up to the, the Mad Max characters, which comes out of nowhere. They literally just decide to do it just because of the girls, but then they're like, all right, we're going to do it now. As opposed to five seconds ago, they were hiding in a closet. Right. Um, which was very just like out of nowhere, but okay. But then the thing that really struck me about the ending was they had that standoff with the killer bikers, but then check comes back and they're back to being wimps. And that made mm. no sense. And the, the person who deals with Chet is Lisa. That's yep. right. Um, so that was a little bit of a disconnect. Um, but yeah, and they should be standing up to Chad, and they should be standing up to Robert Downey Jr. and that other guy. Yeah, like, like why is there a mutant biker gang in this movie at all? Like because it's fun. <laughs> I think <laughs> here's apparently my th- here's my th- thought on this though. I think I'm still looking back at it as the movie I loved as a 15 year old, and there's like part of my brain just refuses to analyze it as a movie movie. Yeah, it's just it's a comfort movie for me. You know, because I saw it when I well, was. Well, apparently, I, I I read that uh, John Hughes wrote the script for this in two days while filming Breakfast Club. Jesus, and oh, wow. I thought I thought it showed. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. I was thinking it was an early John Hughes film because when I saw it now, I was like, oh, I had no idea ever that this was John Hughes until until this week, last week, basically. And so uh, I was thinking, oh, this must have been his first one because it's real rough around the edges. But it makes sense that he just wrote it in a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, the, the, some of the individual set pieces really work, though, like mm-hmm. where uh, Kelly LeBrock goes to Anthony Michael Hall's parents. and Oh, my and, God. Oh. You know, and, uh, you know, she pulls the gun out like <laughs> she's like, what are they going to do at the party? You know, uh, nothing like witchcraft, but you know, <laughs> chips, chips, chi- stuff, chips, chips, dips, dips, chains, chains whips. whips. No, <laughs> we're not talking the time. candle wax on the nipples <laughs> or anything. That's yeah, one witchcraft. of the, my friend and I had that yeah. speech memorized and we would just roll it out all the time. It, it still makes me laugh. Still. Yeah. Like I, I used to never say tossed off, mom. Never tossed off. <laughs> <laughs> Tossing off in the bathroom. I think Matt, you said that Matt, Anthony Michael Hall carries it. Like every scene he's in is just absolutely hilarious. Well, yeah. even so just like good. the way he holds the juice box. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, talking to to Wyatt, and he's like holding oh. the juice box. I'm like, I mean, so like this this like individual scenes are actually really funny it's just i i agree with you dave that that the there is no character development in this yeah. at all yeah it's but and I, I i agree with you dave that all the plot points you're making but uh but i i still because there's so many great fun individual scenes in it i just kind of gloss over all that and enjoy the whole thing and also because there is some although there's not really a uh you know an event to event plot happening there is a lot of heart there where you can tell you're starting out with some real characters who have real problems and they kind of move through it in a way that's fun and makes sense to an adolescent. And then, and then like Andrea said, I think I kind of carried that kind of glow for the movie forward to now. I I just want to point out one of the other, the other great scenes that I always remember is the grandparents coming in. Oh yeah. You can't come in here hitting people with your Rex Harrison hat. 
<laughs> yeah. Fucking kills me. There's yeah. nothing that a boy needs more, more than, than his grandparents. grandparents. Right. Yes. <laughs> and then it's like it's so wrong that they're in the closet later, just frozen. So She's like, awesome. "Oh, look! Look how happy they yeah. are. They're not and then, aging." And, and then when Chet opens the the pantry and like, "Hi, Graham. Hi, pops." And then, wait, and then he's like, "Zoinks!" <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 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 I wanted more plot and character, and I I, I thought the all the magic stuff was kind of stupid, but. It, uh, I seem to be in the minority on that one. That I, the... I think you're just coming to it as like uh, assessing it as a real movie as opposed to being nostalgic. I think I, that's uh, uh, I don't know maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we got four more other movies to do, so let's move on to Inner Space. Uh, so again, I, I mean, I, I remembered loving this, and I remembered a lot from this movie. So, but but basically, the premise is that there's um, Dennis Quaid is a is a handsome, arrogant test pilot. And he volunteers for an experiment where he's going to be shrunk down and injected into a rabbit in a little like life pod thing, it, uh, sort of a uh, you know a riff on the Fantastic Voyage movie. And so, um, but a um, during this uh, procedure, uh, a rival corporation busts in to try to disrupt it and steal the uh, technology, and one of the scientists end up, ends up fleeing from the lab. And injecting Dennis Quaid, unbeknownst to him, into um, Martin Short, who's this um, hypochondriac uh, grocery store clerk. And then eventually Dennis Quaid manages to sort of like hook up his pod to to Martin Short's uh, ears and eyes and stuff. So he can see what he's seeing and, and talk to him inside his head. And, uh, uh, and hijinks ensue. <laughs> um, so, um, so, Tom, overall thoughts on Inner Space? I had uh, I had seen it when I was younger and remembered it being you know I had a really good time watching it in the theater and then I hadn't seen it until until again recently and when I sat down to watch it I was thinking oh yeah I remember this this is probably kind of goofy um, silly movie and then I was really kind of shocked by how much of a cool plot it had um, especially especially the first half or so I was like wow this actually is really tightly plotted it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then as it got kind of toward the second half of the movie, there just started being more kind of zany things happening that didn't really seem to make a lot of sense with the plot. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, that's why I remember this being kind of a sillier movie than more, more so than, than, uh, you know, fun science fiction. But overall, I really liked it. I really thought, uh, Martin Short is really fun to watch anytime he's on the screen. He's, he's great. I mean, he's got some stuff right now with Steve Martin. He's got like a live mm-hmm. act mm-hmm. and, uh, he's just brilliant. He's just super funny. He always yep. was funny on Saturday Night Live. He's funny in this. Um, Dennis Quaid, I really, I really liked in this as well. Uh, I thought, you know, his character again, almost like in Enemy Mind, his character is not really that likable, probably more likable than the Enemy Mind character, but, I thought he did a good job acting it out, and Melanie Griffith is no. just. A- oh, Meg, pardon me, Meg, oh, Meg Ryan. Ryan. Meg Ryan. I'm sorry, <laughs> Meg Ryan. Yeah, Meg Ryan is just absolutely, you know, fun to watch anytime she's on the screen as well. And I and I thought the plot, the the story was really fun, and I thought there were lots of little fun, really fun moments and funny lines, just just throwaway lines like the, the, uh, the the who was it the. Well, the guy with the hand, for one thing, with the with the replaceable <laughs> hand, that was a cool idea. And then the department store uh, 
manager, the guy, he was in Blues Brothers as well. When he's like trying to talk to Martin Short. And then uh, this lady comes up and she's like, smell this. Yeah. She like puts this thing in his face and, and then it just yeah. kind of scene just cuts away. And I was like, that's so brilliant. There were so many fun little, or then the, um, at the beginning when they're explaining the science and the, the guy is like the, the head scientist who ends up getting killed is like explaining how, how the pod works. And he's like, you hear him in the background while like explaining while other dialogue is happening. And he says, it's basically just a Van de Graaff generator coupled with a common carpet sweeper. And I was like, I was like what? what? You know, they're just having fun with that. Yeah, they're just like, whatever. We're just going to, if somebody's really listening, we're going to get them. And then also the little, little references like the, uh, the tiny chip that makes you shrink is called a, is called a PIM, which I was like, oh, that's like oh, right yeah. out of Marvel. Except they explain later that it's spelled P-E-M, not P-Y-M. So, um, if anybody doesn't get the reference, it's the, you know, the Ant-Man thing. But, but anyway, that's, that's my overall thoughts. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought they put a lot of effort into making like fun, little, tiny, enjoyable moments. And I thought the acting was, was great. So. Yeah. How about Andrea? Um, I remember liking it when it came out and watching it again yesterday. Um, I was, uh, it, it stood up, it stood the test of time. It is, uh, it's funny. It's in, you know, it's sweet. Um, you know, Martin Short and his physical comedy is just unparalleled. Yeah. Uh, and he's also just charming. Um, Dennis Quaid, who, as, a, as you might recall, uh, I had a very big problem with his performance in Enemy Mine. It was the thing that kind of ruined that movie for me is perfect in this because that is, this is his character. He's kind of a one trick pony. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, as the the lovable rogue and he does it really well and it's perfect for this part but he was kind of doing it in enemy mind too so that's why i think i had the problem but here he's perfect um it, you know it's it, it's it moves it's got a fairly believable it's believable plot uh and it's it's just a fun ride um you know there's i got some quibbles about things here and there but no big deal to me okay um but i do want to point out that the bad guy with the hand is the biker guy in weird science it's yeah, the I same guy. So. yeah i thought what? so yeah what that was the yes. same guy same yes. guy yep yeah. oh my gosh okay wow yeah uh, that's impressive <laughs> okay how, how about matt overall thoughts uh th- this was a film that i that i loved in the 80s and uh i was just so excited about like the technology and the cool gadgets and stuff and yeah, Martin Short really just carries this movie mm-hmm. for me. Like, I, I think if you try to take this movie too seriously, it, it just it just falls apart. But like, if you step back a little bit and and just take it for for the comedy, it's 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 kind of brilliant. Yeah. Um, I love, uh, like uh, like Tom said, like even just the uh, the secondary characters, like the 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 grocery store owner and like his, his, um, the other checkout clerk, uh, girl, what's her name? Uh, who's like, works with Martin short and, and, uh, like he runs into her at the nightclub and she's like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's great. And, and, um, I, I thought, uh, the way they actually rendered the inside of, uh, yeah. Martin special effects effects were actually really pretty good for, for, uh, 1987. Yeah. Um, just looking back now and I'm like, this is, this is actually pretty good. 
Um, that being said, I, I mean, this is like the nerd in me. I wanted them to like, I wanted to see more of his insides. Like we, we kind of see his like, uh, we see his like blood vessels, but just briefly, like, but, um, you know, if you remember Fantastic Voyage, yes, uh, where they get attacked by like, like the, uh, the, the white blood cells and, and, um, you know, there's, it's like interesting things in the body that he runs into. And like, I think they do that a little bit here. Like he goes to the optic nerve and he goes to the, the yeah. um, his stomach. Um, and then one point he goes into Meg Ryan and it's like, Oh, I'm a father. Okay. Like, I mean, I actually thought that was kind of moving when yeah. he's, you know, yeah, well, that was, that was one of the few things that I remembered was that, yeah, that Martin Short and Meg Ryan kiss and um, Dennis Quaid ends up getting transferred into her body and then ends up in her womb and sees that she's pregnant with his child. That really, that was one of the things that stuck with me for 40 years or whatever. Yeah. And I think there's something, there was something really moving about um, the fact that he uh, saw his own child up close and, and that, um, that really worked actually. Um, the, the part I think that didn't really work for me is when the, the evil guy and, and, and woman, they get like shrunk down to one third size. <laughs> yeah. And then there's just sort of like, then they're doing the, like the oh, slapstick that. comedy where they're in like the trunk and they're in <laughs> the car. So I don't know. It's, it, 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 it's, so, it's really stupid. I don't know. It just, uh, it got a little, it got a little ridiculous for me, but I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous, but, um, yeah, Martin Short, um, like I said, where he's like in the doctor's office and he's like, I'm here, I'm in your head. And he stands up. Oh my God, I'm possessed. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and I, and, uh, Robert Picardo, I, yeah. I completely forgot that he was in this. Yep. Um, yeah, which one was, but that's cause he's playing a Hispanic man. The cowboy. He's plays the oh, cowboy. He's a cowboy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, um, he, he was good, you know, uh, like, it just, it, it, it gets a little ridiculous where he's like, you know, Dennis Quaid's like, oh, all I have to do is, you know, just adjust the muscles and I can completely change yeah. the face. That and, made and no I sense. Like, I yeah, was like, wait, I okay, I don't know. Um, but I, I just rolled with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, yeah, this well, it's a, it's a fun movie, I think. Um, and I think it, it's worth a rewatch today. I wouldn't necessarily say I love the movie, but it's definitely fun. Well, let me tell you what my, my issue is with it is that again, like, so the, so you have these two characters. I mean, and, and Dennis Quaid and Martin Short are absolutely perfect and absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. in this movie. But so the, the plot, I think, is supposed to be, or the character arc is supposed to be that Dennis Quaid is, uh, confident but not caring. And that's why he has this whole fight with Meg Ryan at the beginning. And then Martin Short is caring but not confident. And then they form this, um, team. And then in the course, over the course of the movie, Dennis Quaid teaches Martin Short to be more confident and, uh, Martin Short teaches Dennis Quaid to be more caring. Mm-hmm. And it sort of does that in terms of Martin Short's character development, but doesn't really do anything with Dennis Quaid's character development. And I think that that's the biggest missing hole in this movie for me is that then he gets to get back together with Meg Ryan at the end and they get married. And it's like, well, wait, none of their, relationship issues were really addressed or resolved or even really mentioned. Right. It was basically, movie. Oh, he saw that she was pregnant. Oh, okay. Let, let's get married. Like it, it was, yeah, there was not really any development on his part. Um, you know, I used to love Dennis Quaid as an actor, as a kid and like watching him as an adult, he kind of grates on me. He's, he's like, he's like, he's the lovable asshole was like mm-hmm. a very common trope in yes. the eighties. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, he's such an asshole. He's a, he's a drunk. He comes into the, like the award ceremony and, you know, curses everyone out and falls over stumbling drunk. But that's just the way he is, you know. Um, that stuff I, I have very little patience for. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, but I, I, I think that, yeah, Dave, what you said, like, if they had a couple beats of him recognizing, hey, you know, I haven't been, haven't been such a great guy. I need to be better. It, it would have worked uh, more, but I, I don't think this movie, you know, this movie was kept that lighthearted tone throughout. And I, I feel as if, you know, it, it missed well, that, but I was okay with it missing that. Yeah. But, but then that's the other thing is I think there's too many villains in this movie. So you have mm-hmm. Victor Scrimshaw, Margaret Kanker, Mr. Igo and the cowboy. And I think they should have maybe two villains in this movie. You need one who goes inside Martin Short and you need one who doesn't go inside Martin Short. And <laughs> I think they could have, you know, it would have been just and, and they're like so much time is taken up. And I didn't remember any of these villains at all from when I saw this as a kid. That didn't stay with me at all. And I see why rewatching it because they're just sort of like like C grade James Bond villains. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. they're, they're so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that. They should have cut out at least two of them and used that screen time to develop the relationship between uh, Martin Short and Dennis Quaid, which is really what you're and and, and, and McRyan, I guess, too. But that, that's what you're here for is this sort of buddy comedy yeah. uh, thing. And I feel that feel like that kind of gets shortchanged in all the like ridiculous villain. Antics. Yeah, I think the, the most exciting parts for me are, you know, Dennis Quaid flying around inside Jack and also just like Jack's reaction to things yeah. are just mm-hmm. like, that's what drives it. And uh, rewatching this now, like I, I probably had seen this movie maybe 10 times as a kid, maybe more. And like, I did not remember like maybe the, the last third uh, up until like the finale. It, it just, I was like, I don't remember any of this. And I think it's like you said, Dave, it's just, there's one villain after another. And, and, you know, we were kind of, um, away from from uh Dennis Quaid and Martin Short who I think are the strengths of the film. Yes. So I mean I think it's it's just a terrific premise and I mean there's a lot to like about it but I I just I think it sounds like we all pretty much agree that it kind of like I don't know goes on a little too long and gets it too is, unfocused and it, too much weird. It is yeah. 2 hours I was timing some of them. It was yeah. it, which is ridiculous. And this is like a 90 minute movie like by its nature a 90 minute movie. Yeah. If ever there was yeah. one, you know? yeah, yeah, but I think I think as Matt said, it's 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 all about Martin Short's performance. He carries the whole thing. You know, the, the one thing I remember very vividly is the uh, the dancing scene where Martin Short dances in uh, uh, Dennis Quaid's apartment to um, what's the song, "Dancing the Night Away." Mm-hmm. Um, that scene was huge at the time. And I think it it brought that song back. Uh, so, you know, it's right there. Him and his physical comedy just carry the whole thing. That's what you remember. And that's what still is to this day the fun part about it. Yeah, totally. All right. Escape from New York. So uh, in this movie, uh, New York has been turned into a prison colony and they built a giant wall around it. And people are just uh, if you're sent there it's it's a life sentence and there's no guards or anything it's just you know every man for himself and uh the president's plane is hijacked and crashes in this city-sized prison colony and the president escapes in a or you know like is uh jettisoned in an escape pod and is captured by the local criminals 
and a uh, spe- special forces soldier turned convict named Snake Pliskin, played by Kurt Russell, is given 24 hours to go in and rescue the president in exchange for a full pardon. Uh, so, Matt, overall thoughts on Escape from New York? Um, so, I have a lot of thoughts. So, uh, I first saw this movie, like, um, I, I, like, I was a kid, my cousin's like, oh, you never saw Escape from New York, you would love it, it's got, like, all this cool tech, it's supposed to be in the future, and, like, <laughs> I remember watching it as a kid and kind of feeling, like, bored about halfway through, and then it sort of picks up again. Like, so... I think I love the idea of Escape from New York more than I love the movie. Like, I, I think Snake Plissken is an awesome character. And I think, like, the setup of the film is great. Like, I, I love this idea. It's just like, yeah, crime's so bad. Let's just wall off Manhattan and put all the criminals in there and let them fend for themselves. And, like, that's just a great, it's such a mm-hmm. ridiculous setup, but it's so great, right? And, um, you know, I grew up in, uh, in, uh, New York, near New York City. And we used to visit my grandmother who lived in Manhattan, uh, every weekend. And, uh, at one point, I think it was like in the eighties, uh, she had the option to buy the apartment and for whatever reason did not. And I asked my father, I'm like, why didn't you do that? He's like, well, you know, the city was pretty bad at the time and we didn't think, you know, you kids would want to live there, you know, talk about, <laughs> you know, hindsight is 2020, right? That was a yeah. terrible uh, decision, but, um, Anyway, but like, but un- totally understandable because this is basically what New York was like. New York, yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> it it was. was no, but but uh, there, New York was pretty bad. Like I, I bad. do remember, I do remember driving home from my grandmother's house, and so there's, you know, the, the scene in the film where they're like, "Oh, this is Broadway. Why are you driving down Broadway?" Yeah. Like everyone's just throwing stuff at their car. Like <laughs> this, this actually would would happen if you drove down certain streets in the city. Like I I, I remember you know, people throwing stuff at our car and I like fireworks. And, you know, yeah. of course there's the squeegee men who would like, Oh, the squeegee you know, men yeah. put like, yeah. you know, shit on your windshield and then clean it off and ask for $5. Um, so like the city was pretty bad. So like, I love it that, you know, John Carpenter's like, yeah, we're going to just take this to the extreme. Like the city's so bad. It's now just like a prison colony. Yeah. Um, so I love that idea. And I, I think that, um, like I want to, I want to like this movie more than I do, and I think it's just because I feel like by the third act, it just gets kind of slow. I mm-hmm. like Snake is is a good character, but I missed uh, Kurt Russell's kind of smarmy quips that he does in um, Big Trouble in Little China, mm-hmm. right? And in this, he doesn't have too many of those, and. Um, you know, I, I love the, the that John Carpenter is like, I'm not going to take like, I don't care what anyone fucking thinks I'm going to do. Like, there's a scene where like Snake is walking, uh, you know, through a building like deep underground. I think it was the theater. And he sees like three men literally oh, about God, to yeah. rape a woman. And Snake's just like, whatever, it keeps walking. And like, I'm like, holy shit, that's fucked up. But also like, wow, like the director was just like, that's the world I want to create. Okay. Like I, not that I agree with that. I think it's horrible, but um, I, I was just kind of like, okay, this director is just telling me, you know, he's going to do whatever the hell he wants. And uh, so I think that, uh, that um, aspect of it, you know, I, I thought it was bold, but you know, by the time they got to like the big uh, wrestling match, 
you know, where they're yeah. going to spike each other. I was like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that yeah. heavily yeah. invested in this. Well, well, let me, let me say, man, because I, I totally 100% agree with you. I think that this, I mean, this movie basically has three acts, right? There's like, you know, Snake get, there's the setup where Snake gets his mission and is sent in and the president goes missing and all that stuff. I think all that's fantastic. And then I really like the ending too. And then in the middle, it's just like really sort of aimless mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. it seems, I mean, like there's like John Carpenter's wife has a part. Like it just, there's like all these characters who like don't really, aren't very interesting and don't really do anything. And, uh, it, it just seems like they're just trying to get this up to a feature length running time to me. Um, so I, I'm just curious, does anyone disagree that the middle of the movie kind of drags or no, not isn't at all. that exciting? No, he no, just walks always, around. <laughs> yeah. I've always felt the middle is kind of a little bit generic, generic action movie type of thing. There isn't even yeah. that much action. It just, he just kind of walks around a lot. He's walking a, through the streets. Yeah. It's kind of like it, it was like. Uh, a tourist guide to decrepit, <laughs> you know, to bad neighborhoods in New York. Um, you know, I, I, you, you talked about coming to the city. I grew up in the city. I grew up in the edge of one of the worst neighborhoods in the city at the time in the seventies and eighties. And I can guarantee, I, I was shocked. I looked it up to see if they shot it here. They didn't. Um, cause apparently John Carpenter didn't think it, it was burnt out enough. And I'm like, I grew <laughs> up in Alphabet City. There were like lots of burned out cars. Uh, yeah. You know, old buildings were shooting galleries. It, it was, it, I was shocked that they didn't even try to shoot it here because it really was wow. that bad. Um, you know, there's the whole famous 1970s, uh, when New York was bankrupt and Ford, um, wouldn't give us any money. And the, 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 the uh, headline on the newspaper, the daily news was Ford to Ford to city drop dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, it's, it was very realistic to me as a, as a New Yorker who grew up in that type of New York, but as a, just as a storyteller, it's like, it looked kind of like a, a video game where you just have the character with the gun walking through things. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're lost, you don't know where yeah, the next checkpoint. Exactly. Yeah. Checkpoint is. I mean, but to the to that point, I, it just it just showed me like how little was happening. So like when Ernest Borgnine shows up, and like I'm like, oh my god, this he's so great as the cabbie. Like he's amazing, and I wanted more of him. Yeah. And that was just because Snake wasn't really doing or yeah. saying much. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing some weird um, Clint Eastwood impersonation, wasn't that he? That is that every <laughs> one of my friends. We we used I used to love this movie when I was a kid, and my friends and I would would watch it, would like rent it, and be like, let's get oh let's get this one. You'd be in the movie store, and be like, let's get this one again. We'd be like, all right, love it. But we'd watch it and we'd really enjoy it. But we'd we would all just completely, you know, crap on that. Like, why does he think he has to sound like Clint Eastwood in yeah. this? He's totally doing a Clint Eastwood impression. And when I went back and watched it, I, I was ready for that. And I didn't think it was as bad as I thought when I was a kid. But yeah, it is definitely a, a gritty kind of Clint yeah. Eastwood voice he's doing. I think because, you know, Kurt Russell was, when he was younger, he was yes. like the Dis- Disney fan. He was like the Disney star. Like he was like the track athlete and really, yeah. you know, uh, goody two shoes type of character. And I think he was really trying to break away from that and be like an anti-hero for the first time. And he was kind of groping a little bit, like, what do I do? And I think that's what he settled on was the Clint Eastwood voice. And it, uh, I, you know, I think, I still think it's fun. I still enjoy it, but I, I enjoy it in a sense of like, I love this character, 
And at the same time, I'm going to make fun of him. Kind of like, you know, I love Bono from YouTube, but I'm always kind of laughing at the way he preaches on stage or <laughs> used to preach on stage. Let me just to mention two sort of interesting trivia things about this movie. So one is that William Gibson watched this and was really taken with the part where Snake, he says something like about how he did an operation over Leningrad or something. Mm -hmm. And William Gibson was like, oh, wow, that really like conjures up this whole world with just one line. I want to yes. do something like that in my hmm. in Neuromancer. And that's what he did. Hmm. Wow. Um, and then also the poster for Escape from New York has the decapitated head of the Statue of Liberty lying in the middle of a street. <laughs> and that's not actually in the movie. Like you see the yeah. Statue of Liberty and it has its head yeah. in the movie. Huh. Um, and so so J.J. Abrams, uh, it always bothered him that, that the movie poster didn't match the movie. And so when he made Cloverfield, he had a scene where the Statue of Liberty's head ends up in the middle of the street. Nice. To, uh, so that there actually would be a movie where that happened. So I, I want to comment on the cast in this movie because it is a fantastic cast. Like, like I agree the middle is kind of draggy. I love the premise. I love a lot of things about the movie. But just the cast, going back and watching it and being like, okay, I love Kurt Russell. I love Donald Pleasance. I think he's mm -hmm. the creepiest. Oh, yeah. You know, he, yeah. talk about Bond villain. He was actually yeah. Blofeld in one movie. Harry Dean Stanton is a fantastic, yeah. you know, horror actor, the guy from Alien and, and he's in, he's in the Avengers as well. Uh, Adrian Barbo, who's, yeah. she's, she's in Creepshow as well and does a great job right. in that. The dad from Creepshow plays the cop, plays one of the cops. He's, he's just a really cool, uh, you know, what do you call it? Uh, character actor. Uh, then you got Lee Van Cleef. Awesome, awesome actor from lots of good westerns and, uh, Isaac Hayes. Mm -hmm. And Ernest Borgnine as well, all fantastic. Like just every, I forgot all these people were in it, but as I was watching it, I was like, holy cow, look, look who's in it. Look who else is in it. Look who else is in it. And, and, uh, it's one of those movies where I'm just like, wow, they had a really good casting director who just was like, I know who I'm going to get, had all yeah. kinds of cool ideas. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I really like is like the, sh the use of light and shadow in the visuals. That's just so striking. So many of the shots, mm -hmm. just the, it has a very, you know, film noir kind of thing with just these deep, deep shadows. And I actually, uh, I like that too, but I had a problem with it overall from a plot perspective. Why is it always dark except in one establishing shot? The outside is dark. He's, he's there for 24 hours, but it's always night. And then, and then at one point it's <laughs> yeah, dawn and then it's, that. and then it's midnight then it's again. Dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Don't was, ask too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's such a minor point. I I get it. He just wanted it to look like scary and cool and that was no, the no, best Tom, way to do it. Crime is so bad there's no more sun. <laughs> that's how, someone that's how someone bad. actually stole, stole the, the sun. sun. <laughs> Can I just talk about like a couple things that I thought were yeah, really yeah. great? great. No, so, no, no, no. So, no. Oh, sorry, right. go ahead. <laughs> the the, the brain, uh, brain, I love that brain has like an oil well in his library. Like <laughs> He's just so smart. He's like, yeah, you know, actually there's oil right under the library. Yeah, it totally makes right sense. Here. You know, it's like, yeah, I get, I get oil for the Duke. And then um, I just love that John Carpenter, like he introduced, like, so uh, Snake Plissken, um, you know, there's gangs out at night and he, he hides in like the chock full of nuts, like the, like the oh, yeah. pre Starbucks. It was chock full yeah. of nuts. Right. Right? So, right. so like he meets the girl there and like, you get this feeling like, oh yeah, she's gonna be a main character, and then no, she just she just gets grabbed down. She gets pulled down, pulled down through, through the, the floor, yeah, through yeah. the floor, like like just. Well, that was Kurt Russ That's his that wife. Was Kurt Russell's wife. Yeah. So they just wrote that scene to put her in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and like she's billed as girl in chocolate yeah. nuts. She didn't even get a name. <laughs> Poor girl. 
And I was just like, you know what? Like, I, I you got to respect a director that's that's just willing to like just you know do crazy shit like that. I, I mean, it doesn't always work, but uh, and, and you know, like, and I thought it was ridiculous. It's like, like, hey, Snake, you got the tape? He's like, I got it right here. Like, they didn't play the tape before he they didn't put it test in it. the air. <laughs> they didn't test it, but b- before uh, you know, millions of people like, um, but it, it kind of worked. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, I like I like that. Like twist. emotionally, it worked, but uh, yeah, I was like, they would have played that first. They would have. I love it. I love how Liberty Island like is just huge. Like they have uh, they have like buses leaving there and little bridges. And I was yeah, like, where's it coming? Where are those buses coming from? You have to get the you have to get on a ferry to get there. Yeah, I was like, okay. I'll well, apparently, they actually did get permission to shoot on Liberty Island, and those yeah. shots on Liberty Island are the only thing shot in New York. That's it. Huh. <laughs> Everything else was shot in St. Louis. I imagine that it might have been hard to empty the streets because, like one one of the things that I was thinking was like this was pre CGI, right? Yes. So being that you know they couldn't, they had to do most of these shots like for real. It was like yeah. very little post effects. Like I thought that was really really good. Like you know the the mythical 69th Street Bridge. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I was thought like, I was I, I was like, wait, what? That actually looked. <laughs> Like, um, uh, what is it? The, the, uh, 59th street, 59th bridge, street like the, bridge, Queensboro, the, the yeah. little, uh, the Queensboro bridge, a little extension on the side. Yeah, I'm like, that looks exactly like that. And I, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that's a set. Maybe not. Um, no, it was it, an actual bridge in another city and John Carpenter like l- legally bought the bridge yes. for the what? filming so that the what? city, cause the city was afraid of uh, liability issues. Yeah. And then he sold it back to them after the yeah. shoot. For a dollar. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. I saw. Yeah. I read. I pulled up a bunch of trivia about it because I was just so interested. And yeah, it's some really interesting stuff. I think they got but he I, got the city yeah. of Lo- of uh, St. Louis to shut down the power, the power to an entire like neighborhood, so that they could shoot those street scenes. That's wow. probably why they couldn't shoot in, yeah. in New York City. You know, today it's like they 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 block they clear out one one block, yeah. and the rest is CGI, and it just looks amazing. Uh, but the fact they couldn't do that, I'm like, you know, it still really kind of works. Like the the uh, the scene with the uh, the crashed airplane where Snake is just going, and I'm like, that looks like a crashed airplane. Yeah. Like I don't know how they did that, but and like it's in the middle well, of, it was a, a, of a city it, block. It, you should read the 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 trivia is actually really interesting yeah. on IMDb. But that was a real airplane. You know, they like bought a real airplane and cut it up and put it in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's kind of haunting watching, you know, the president's plane, like, oh, God. careening towards uh, yeah, the World, World Trade, Trade Center. Center. And I was like, I, ooh. Yeah. The, the, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was really gut-wrenching, that part. I actually started uh, looking up to see if they had a scene where it crashes into some buildings um, and if they cut it after 9-11. No, but yeah. no, they didn't. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking that, too, because I was like, oh, wow. I don't remember them ever showing the actual crash, yeah, but I do vividly remember them cutting to the graphic of the uh, the egg kind of going, which is yeah. like a very Austin Powersy type of thing too. That he gets in that egg <laughs> yeah. and escapes. And I, I always a couple of things I wanted to mention. I always was really kind of it weirded out by the president, by his you know the Donald Pleasant's president, um, and by his the, what he says when he gets into the pod. It's something like. God, yeah. God save me and God watch over you all. And he yeah. gets in the pot. He's like, basically like, I hope I live and, you know. Good luck to you. If, if there's anything left for you as well, I hope God helps you too. Oh, he he's great. The, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. that's his character. I yeah. mean, that's basically what he says to Snake at the end, too. Yeah, but when he's shaving, too, you know, he's like, oh, that's a shame, you know, and, and, uh. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. and that's what, that's what prompts, that's the other thing that kind of always stuck with me and I, that I think does make this a good movie and make it kind of a classic is at the end when Snake, you know, asks a couple of questions, like, why did you, why did you do this? And he's like, well, yeah, it's unfortunate. And then he's like, he decides in that moment, like, you know, I, I just saved the world, but you know what? It's not worth it. And I'm going to take the tape with me and kind of pull all the insides out. And, uh, it, and that always stuck with me because I was like, I was always like, he, he decides it's not worth it, but what's he going to do? He's, he's still on the world. He's going to get killed too. He seems to be in it for himself now. I guess he doesn't even care about that. Anyway. Yeah. I think he's pretty, he's pretty nihilistic, like the whole movie, I think. Um, and I, I think at the end, he, he just, he gave the, uh, president a chance to morally redeem himself. Right. And the president didn't. And he's like, all right, fuck you. You know, I'm going to destroy this tape, you know? And, uh, I actually found that really satisfying. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't, I, I never found it. I guess I did find it. I thought it was really cool. Like every time I've seen it, I'm like, that's really cool that he does that. But it always kind of, those two things, what the president says and that moment always just kind of lodge in my head whenever I think about this movie. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so there's a lot of, a lot of really interesting stuff in this movie. And yeah, just if the middle were a little tighter. um, Well, if it just, if like anything happened other really than other than him walking around from place to place, you know, like it just, nothing ever builds on anything else. And I never feel invested in what he's going for, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, but we need to move on to our uh, other two movies. So, uh, well, why don't we talk about Night of the Comet? Because there are some similarities between yeah. Night of the Comet and Escape from New York. Um, so, so Night of the Comet, the premise is that there's this comet and everyone goes out to watch it, except for our main characters who, for various reasons, are spend the night in steel uh, structures. And then when they wake up in the morning, they find that the comet has turned everyone into dust uh some people i guess it's, it's turned into zombies and so there's only a handful of survivors in the city and it's uh you know two teenage girls who are sisters and a truck driver that they meet and um and then so they sort of have to decide what to do in this newly uh depopulated earth <laughs> so so Andrew you were the one really pushing yes. for us to watch night of the comet so tell us uh tell us more about why you uh, are such a fan of this movie um well i remember watching it uh i think i probably did see it in a theater and i was i'm fairly sure the same age as as the the characters at the time um and it it was it really hit me exactly where it should you know i knew those characters because i was those characters kind of you know selfish self-involved <laughs> um uh you know uh rebellious against parents um you know when when i was watching it uh there's the scene where she goes um you know the the, the stores are open you know what do you want to do well the stores are all open and they go shopping um you know everything about it was exactly who i was and uh and it was it, it's fun and it's also a fun science fiction movie as far as i you know like a horror science fiction i think you can probably classify it as um and watching it again, it it held up to me. I mean, there's some quibbles about the ridiculousness of the science, but um, just as like a, an adventure story, it moves really well. Um, the the characters are fun. Uh, it's it's funny. 
there's you know the scene in the um uh in the shopping mall with those guys is fantastic like that guy whoever that guy was the leader is fantastic um the evil stock the evil boys. stock boys yeah <laughs> yes uh, yeah they were great um and, you know and the dialogue's great uh i i it stood up for me um yeah, the test of time i mean I'll- I'll say, I mean, you know, I just, I'd never, like I said, I'd never even heard of this movie before. And I watched the trailer and I was like, oh man, this is going to be bad. <laughs> um, but then I watched it. I was like, I thought it was surprisingly good. I mean, um, I think that, um, you know, if you've seen 28 Days Later yeah. and, and stuff, it's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, redundant or superfluous at this point. But, um, you know, it's, there's nothing particularly wrong with it. I, I thought I'll just, I'll, I'll just note too that it's, it was obviously inspired by Day of the Triffids, mm. uh, which is a great, um, science fiction novel by John Wyndham, which yeah. starts off with there's this like meteor shower and everyone goes out to watch it. And then the next day they're all, everyone is blind who looked at the meteor shower. And and so our, our main character had spent the night with bandages wrapped around his head. And so he didn't see the meteor shower. So he's one of the few people who can still see. So this is kind of like, you know, people are turned to dust rather than go blind. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 obviously, you know, was taking a cue from that. Um, oh, I just, so Tom, real quick, we, I just want to oh, point out the main character, Regina, is the same woman. And it's the same woman from the, the, who was the girlfriend in Last Starfighter? Last Starfighter, yeah. And, yeah. and it starts out we meet her, and she's playing a video game. <laughs> yeah, her, it's her turn to play video game. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I I thought she was. Uh, I was really glad to see her get center stage and not be like you know the girlfriend. I thought that she had a good role in this. Yeah, she's really role. good. Mm-hmm. She's really good in this. I thought. Yeah. Um, Tom, any other thoughts on Night of the Comet? Um, yeah, I'd never seen it before. And so I didn't have any nostalgia going into it at all, but I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the relationship between the sisters was really cool. Um, you know, like, like Andrea said, they're shallow people, but, but toward each other, they kind of, you know, they're in the same shallow world and they kind of, they have an understanding. And I, I thought, I thought the younger sister was really cool, like played a cool counterpoint to the older one. I loved the video game she was playing at the beginning. That was one of my favorites when I was when I was younger. I couldn't remember the name of it, but I used to love that one. And uh, there yeah, were temp- Tempest. Tempest. That's it. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Did you did you used to play that? How'd you know that? I just watched a video about it. I I, I mean I've heard of it, but uh, I don't think I ever played it. Okay, it was really that was fun. A fun one. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, uh, and I I like there were a lot of cool moments. You know, there's, when she comes out of the place and the zombies eating the rack of boyfriend there in front of her and <laughs> uh and and just bizarre moments like when she walks in on her newfound boyfriend and he, in the in the radio station and he's like oh excuse me i was just kind of doing an ab workout during the apocalypse <laughs> yeah and it means so <laughs> why are you doing an ab workout i don't get it um and then bizarre thing lots of bizarre things like she's you know she's with the guy at the beginning the reason she lives in the in the steel lined uh projection booth and he's like, yeah, I'll give you $14 in the morning. And she's like, oh, God. she's like, only $14? What does that make me if I sleep with you for just $14? And I was like, what if you sleep with him for $45? <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, there were, there were just, it was these bizarre, like, people who were, who, who just felt real to me. And, uh, and it, you know, like you said, Dave, it, it did ring, it did resonate with Day of the Triffids, which I really loved. And, uh, and also with 28 Days Later, but I but I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad I saw it. Hmm. How about Matt? Um, yeah. Th- so, like I said, this was the first time I saw this. Um, 
I loved it. Um, I, I went into this, like, uh, what, what is this? Like, um, so like Andrea, when I saw, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart play in the video game, like, yes, it's her turn, you know, <laughs> finally. Um, and I love that she's like really upset that someone got the high score, uh, yeah. higher than her. Um, so, you know, there weren't that many movies that at least off the top of my head, I can think of in the eighties of like really good kick-ass female characters. Mm-hmm. Like obviously uh, Sigourney Weaver mm-hmm. and alien. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are others uh, off the top of my head. I can't think of them. And I just love the fact that, um, you know, these two sisters are just kicking ass and yeah. like, they're, they're like, I, you know, they just casually drop in like, yeah, you know, her, her dad was a Vietnam vet and yeah. taught her, you know, martial arts. And she's just like kicking ass and like, oh yeah, we'll just get some Uzis. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, just, I, I love it. And, 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 uh, you know, even Robert Beltran, who, um, you know, I, ha- I have mixed feelings about his portrayal of, uh, Chakotay in, in, uh, in Star Trek Voyager. Um, but I think, I thought in this that he was great. And, and I, I loved like, um, <laughs> you know, when he goes home, uh, to, to see if his family's still alive and then like the, the he gets kid. attacked by the kid. And and that was just hilarious. Yeah. Like it was terrifying. Yeah, he's like, there kid. goes the neighborhood. You're yeah, looking yeah. like kids. <laughs> <laughs> so Although, um, I was I was worried that there was, he was going to meet a mombi, which I was like, I can't. Yeah, mm, I, I kind of. Watch. I, I was glad that didn't happen. I actually, yeah. I, I've seen it. And I thought it was that was going to happen, but yeah. Like I knew I was in for a wild ride when uh, when the sister Samantha is like talking back to the i'm not sure if it was a mother or st- i think it was a stepmother step- oh yeah and, and then like, like they slap each they <laughs> slap each other and then she socks her yeah. and knocks her down to the tv and she's like and then the next day she's like yeah i slept in the shed <laughs> i'm just like yeah i'm like yes i like at that i'm like i'm in, yeah i'm all in I'm yeah, all yeah, in yeah. This movie. and and uh it just gets like you said like the 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 <laughs> the evil uh stock boys yeah. um they were you know, great what like just the stuff that they were saying, I, I only saw this one side. I can't quote it, but I feel like the dialogue they were saying at that point is probably like super quotable. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. When he's like, attention shoppers. shoppers no, <laughs> uh, uh, how, uh, something like, uh, hello, that kids out there in TV land or something yeah. like that. And then he's like, yeah. bachelorette number one yeah. comes yeah. out or bachelorette number two gets it. It was just great dialogue. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think like the difference between this movie and say, um, Escape from New York is like I think Escape from New York didn't recognize that it's pretty campy, and this movie does. Yeah. And this movie's like I'm leaning into this. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm like yeah, I'm going yeah, yeah. all in. Yeah. And and you know with like the the evil I don't know what they were like the secret society yeah. that was like going to be the uh, I guess survive yeah. the human race. <laughs> I don't know if they were planning to save the human race. I think they just wanted to save themselves. But then like that was kind of muddy because they're like should we rescue these people? And it's like, well, if you knew this comet was going to kill everybody, maybe, you, and you were concerned about that, maybe you should have warned them. Yeah. Interesting note about the the, the younger sister who's the cheerleader. So, oh, I know uh, what you're going to say. <laughs> Joss Sweden watched this and got the idea for Buffy the Vampire. Oh, oh my gosh, I was I thinking that. that. I was thinking that. I was I was watching that and thinking she reminds me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I wonder if Josh Joss Sweden ever ever watched this and thought that. Like, wait. I got another thing for you. That girl who played Samantha played – she was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High as the cheerleader character. Oh, no way. And spends the whole movie as a, dressed as a cheerleader. Yep. 
Uh. One other cool thing I want to point out if we don't, I, I don't want to forget this. So Robert Beltran from Voyager is in this. In the radio station, when they first meet him, there's one point where the sister, the, the younger sister says, looks around at all the, the, the mechanics and goes, oh, beam me up, Scotty. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, cute. That's clearly, awesome. clearly not intentional, but nice little close the loop there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you, Andrea, for uh, recommending this movie. Uh, I mean, it's, um, you know, surprisingly good for, uh, you know, for this low budget kind of movie. And uh, apparently the, um, the, the director wanted to make a sequel, but could never get the, I think this is right, but could never get the studio to give him, to sell him the rights back or something. Oh, even that's though they didn't terrible. Do anything with it. That's, that's really bad. upsetting. Cause yeah, I mean, I would never steal you, steer you wrong on a movie. Not this one. Um, <laughs> it's actually interesting to, to Matt's point about, you know, filming, um, you know, filming in the pre-CGI era. Mm-hmm. There are like numerous shots in this movie where you can see people walking around in the background. Oh, really? In the supposedly <laughs> populated city. Yeah. And all they did was put like a red filter over the sky. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but can I, uh, I just also want to point out that they didn't, nobody says like having sex. They keep saying making it, <laughs> which is so eighties. Mm-hmm. Like I remember. Yeah. You know, we're going to make it like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, surprisingly good. I mean, like I said, I mean, like, if you've seen as many zombie movies as I have, you know, there's not a lot here that you haven't seen before, but it's, uh, you know, certainly a fun, you know, fun sort of time capsule of uh, science fiction movies from this era. Um, All right, so uh, let's get to our classic, Howard the Duck, (laughs) which uh, was my new favorite movie back in, uh, wait, what what year was this? Uh, 1986, my my new favorite movie of 1986. Uh, so wait, so I think Andrea had never never wait. I I'd seen parts of it, but I never saw the whole thing. Okay, had anyone seen this before all the way through? Not me. I don't think I have. No. Okay. Uh, well, so Andrea, why don't you? What was it like watching Howard the Duck all the? Oh wait, let me describe the premise. Yeah. So. Oh boy! So, so Howard, <laughs> yeah. good, good luck, is Dave. A, yeah, is like a like a four foot tall anthropomorphic duck who lives on Duck World, which is like <laughs> looks looks just like New York City, except yeah. everyone's a duck, and the planet shaped like an egg. Just FYI, <laughs> and so he's just settling down to peruse Play Duck magazine <laughs> when his uh, like recliner gets sucked up into the sky and he hurtles through space and lands up uh, and ends up on, on earth in like Cleveland, Cleveland or something. Yeah. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and meets a, a sort of an aspiring rock star played by Leah Thompson and, and <laughs> lots of other stuff happens. After that. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> plot synopsis. Thank uh, you. But, but so, so Andrea, uh, so overall thoughts on Howard the duck. Um, I, I pretty much watched the entire thing with my jaw on the floor. <laughs> um, and I, I, I'm not, I'm really not, uh, I, I, there's very little, uh, hyperbole there. I, it was my, my mouth was open at how in, insanely terrible it was in every mm-hmm. fucking way possible. Um, and there was one point actually where I was like, all right, I'm just going to give in and go with it. And then it lost me again. It was just so, everything about it was terrible. Like scenes went on for so long. Nothing made sense. It was just like, oh, it, ew. and the creepiness of and, it, like the him 
her kissing a duck and she's half naked and i was just like i'm oh yeah they're gonna do they're gonna make it yeah in that scene yeah <laughs> they're, they're, they're totally about to make oh it oh my god totally making it they're totally making it and you know what I, my overall thought about this movie as i was watching it other than holy shit what the fuck who who <laughs> thought this was a good idea was uh george lucas yes. coming off of star wars yes well boy that's you gotta that take explains this it explains a lot of stuff and just take the keys away from him don't let him I was, I was honestly, I was laughing hysterically through this whole movie, just thinking about how did this get made? Yes. And like, basically there's, so there's a couple of factors. So, so George Lucas wanted to give a job to one of his friends from film school who ended up directing this movie. And then he also wanted to give business to his newly formed special effects company, (laughs) ILM. And he also had a contractual obligation to do a live action movie. Uh, so this was originally conceived as a, um, an animated movie, but then they switched it to live action because he had to give a live action movie to some studio. Uh, so it's sort of like this confluence of of crazy factors led to this movie coming out the way it is. Uh, Tom, overall thoughts on Howard the Duck? Well, I I'd never seen it before, like the rest of us, and uh, and and you know always thought it was a terrible movie and then on watching it I actually realized it is a terrible movie <laughs> and I I really wished I could send this movie through a dimensional gateway <laughs> um, it, it's composed almost entirely of the cringeworthy moments of a thousand other bad movies it's even in the even in the 80s when we didn't know any better we knew better yeah yeah I mean it, it, even the musical score sounds embarrassed all the way through it uh, yeah <laughs> it, yeah it it's it was like safely buried in the past and you dug it up dave and uh <laughs> and basically i was reminded many times during this movie of the scene in sin city where the police woman is telling mickey rourke's character about how elijah wood ate her fingers and and she screams he made me watch that's how that's that's how I felt toward you toward, through the entire movie. Yeah. All right. Well, let me let me tell you because I was I was like think I, I was so curious to go back and watch this to be like why did I like this as a kid you know as an eight year old or whatever because you were eight and I and I well I think there's two things I liked about it you know going back and watching it now and one is I think Howard the Duck as a character is legitimately like funny and like cool and like entertaining like. Just like the way he looks, the way he talks. It's just like funny. I don't know. There's just something about it that really works for me. But then also, like, I've always really loved Lovecraftian stuff. And the whole thing with the Dark Overlord toward the end, I think was like one of the first things I saw that was like obviously like taking a cue from H.P. Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's those those two things together, the sort of like cool protagonist and the Lovecraftian horror, when I had no exposure to that previously. I think that must have been what I what I liked about it when I was eight. But um, I don't know, Tom, because you have, you have kids who are like about you have kids who are like some somewhere around that age, right? No, uh, my kids are uh, well four and six, and uh, I think they would absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. But, there you go. But hold on a second. Here was my one of the big problems I had with this movie is it should have been a kids movie. But it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, I would the, never show it to no, my kids. No, the, it's, the it's naked definitely an adult duck movie. Woman with the breasts, <laughs> yeah. and then she pulls the a duck condom. She pulls the condom yeah. out of his. Th- and not only it's a condom, it's an unwrapped condom in his. It's unwrapped. Yeah. And not only is it an unwrapped please. condom, 
Not it's only that, but then she she kind of smiles in like yeah, a, you know, like, an oh, endearing. It's so cute. She's like, oh, that's that's so endearing. Why is she <laughs> touching it? I wouldn't touch an unwrapped <laughs> condom. Like it, there was so much about it that was inappropriate for children, and yet it's a children's movie. Like yeah. why they why did they? They well, should have made think, a kids well, movie. I think that comes from it, the comic. The I know, I, I know, the, I know. I, know. <laughs> I think the comic was like a raunchy, goofy. I think it works as a comic, like as a you know ter- paper pages comic, where you've got like all these funny like duck puns all the way through it, and like the planet shaped like an egg, and and it, you know Howard being real raunchy. It works as like a uh, an indie comic. Yeah. But then thinking that you could take that and it would work as a live action movie just takes. The kind of egomania you only get after you just make like the biggest selling movie of all time. And you're thinking, I can do anything. I can make a movie. I remember yeah. thinking this when it first came out in the theater. I remember thinking, I didn't go see it because I knew it was going to be bad. But I remember thinking, this is what, this is George Lucas thinking, I can do anything and just being wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I also want to mention the scene where Howard works at like some sort of like sex oh, spa yeah, that was it. for like four minutes. Was, how does <laughs> how does the, like a, a employment agency get you a job at a at a sex club? Like, is that a thing? Did they did? I know it was the eighties, but that's a little out there even for the eighties. Oh yes, I don't I don't know, but yeah, I totally agree with you, Tom. That this is like it's like a really weird combination of like a kids movie, like a sort of like Animal House style sex comedy and a horror movie and it's like yeah like it, it, it and i think some of those things could go together but the kids no. and the sex comedy part no doesn't doesn't work no, together no no uh matt any other thoughts on howard the duck well <laughs> there, there are a few movies that i never ever ever want to see again <laughs> and this is one of them yeah <laughs> um the the first five minutes were just hit overhead, hit over the head with pun after bad pun after bad pun. It's like five minutes in, I've I've heard about seventy five duck, uh, duck puns, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I can't. And like, we're not even at the plot yet. Um, you know, Leah Thompson, she does her best with this, yeah. and she comes off as endearing, and you know, I I liked her. Um. It, I, Howard the Duck is just creepy. He's just yeah. he's just creepy and weird. I don't like him. I like he, he's just not cute at all. I mean, uh, Dave, you sent us that uh, video, like the origin of Howard yeah. the Duck. Yeah. And you know, I, I've never read the comic, but my understanding of it from from watching that was that it was kind of meant as satire mm-hmm. and sort of uh, you know social uh, commentary social commentary pointing out like hypocrisy of of the modern world etc and and um that i don't think there's really any of that in this i mean um it, it's just it's played for the bad puns um you know uh tim robbins oh like, god every now and then <laughs> oh. he gets these roles and you mean I, oscar winning actor yeah. <laughs> right and i was just like my god He's he's hamming it up. It's just it's just terrible. Um, you know, I I loved Jeffrey Jones yeah. in uh, Ferris Bueller, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, in this, he's just like I he I just want to cringe. I, and I think it's just because the writing is just so poor. Mm. Um, yeah, I I don't know what else to say about it except that I I found it really kind of hard to watch. Yep. 
Um, okay, so like, oh, so yeah. so nobody likes Howard the Duck except me, like the char- the character. Do you still like, like it? No, I don't like the movie, but I like the, I like him. I, I don't know. There's just something about him, the character. I, I will himself. say I I don't I don't like the character. I, I I agree that I find him creepy and and uh, I think he's supposed to be. I think he's from a raunchy comic that you know they're trying to say. Hey, the heck with all these kids comics you grew up with, you know, Daffy Duck and, and Donald Duck and all that. Let's, let's have like a grown up, kind of like the baby in Roger Rabbit with the cigar, you know, when, when they're not filming. I think it's supposed to be kind of like that, but I don't, so I don't like the character. I, I don't think that works in a movie. I think it works in a paper comic book, but I did like his voice. I, I did like the, the voice characterization. Whoever did the, the voice, I liked the way it sounded. That's about the only thing I liked about the movie. But let me tell you the the observation I had about Howard watching this now that I like once I saw it uh, I couldn't get out of my head is like he reminds me of Harlan Ellison, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, because he's like short, kind of cute, kind of violent, kind of raunchy, kind of an asshole, kind kind of sensitive and talented. So it's like this, yeah, I don't know, like once, and, and well-dressed. Like once I saw it, I was like, I just couldn't stop seeing Harlan Ellison. Like, in every <laughs> well, scene. like I was saying before, I think there's that, that 80s sort of acceptance of the lovable asshole. And mm-hmm. I, I think that um, Howard the Duck was trying to, to tap into that like archetype, but I, I didn't really find him lovable at all. And, and I think a lot of that had to do with just the creepiness of, it's creepy. of, the, of the actual costume. And I think that if this were like you know a human character i probably would feel differently but it's just maybe it's those eyes those those damn realistic eyes that like bug bug the hell out of me i, I thought it, the the mask that the costume was very good like it I, yeah i saw emotions in that you know 1980s yeah, I costume agree. i thought that was mm-hmm. that was good i just yeah well let, let me let, let me tell you so apparently uh george lucas spent two million dollars <gasps> of his own money to create that costume and they had a team of like nine animators or something running it with remote controls like during the performances well i mean money well spent (laughs) (laughs) now didn't like just i read some of the trivia on this too he lost ilm because of this no pixar pixar he lost pixar that's right and um Uh, the the, uh, director the director never worked again after this, correct. Oh. Yeah, correct. Um, and apparently, John Landis, he, uh, John Landis was, um, possibly going to make it as the director is was approached to be director. You don't, you don't John, mean make it. No, I don't. Sorry, <laughs> no. Ah, too much making it. Um, John Landis was a, approached to be the director and said no because he had just made Blue, Blues Brothers, which has a huge car chase scene, and he said he didn't want to make another movie with a car chase scene. And I'm like, I don't think that was the reason. I think that was Dodge the polite the bullet on that reason. one. I think that's the polite reason. Yeah. I can't like imagine I knew anybody... I knew in eighty six this movie sucked. I can't, yeah. I can't like, imagine I knew anybody from the trailer. reading this script yeah. would ever go, Yeah, definitely. Like like the the, <laughs> yeah. the, the car chase is the least of the problems. Right. Yeah. Wait, let me read the let me read the trivia. So this says rumors circulated that Universal Production heads Frank Price and Sidney Scheinberg engaged in a fist fight after arguing <laughs> over who was to blame for greenlighting the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see, see I could see, I could see Jaws getting broken over this this yeah. piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, well, I think a lot of people yeah. lost jobs after this. Yeah. Yeah. Like the head of the net, but it has head of the. Studio, I think. 
But it has like kind of a cult following, and like there's a lot of you know like they, they included who? Howard in um, Guardians of the Galaxy well, in the post credits well, yes. scene. Well, oh, that's right. Like the the movie The Room has a cult following too. Yes. Wait, is it isn't Howard? Is he only in the post credits scene? I thought yeah. he was in the collector's uh, in the yeah. background in the collector's kind he's of collection. In the, he's there. in the post scene yeah. where he talks because he's, oh. he's his you know glass thing has been blown up. Uh, I know. I know some people love this movie. Um, like if you if you go on uh on the Gen X Reddit uh, forum, <laughs> there every now and then they do like, what was your favorite movie of the eighties? And uh, Howard the Duck came up. Oh, like God. some people oh. are like, oh, I love Howard the Duck. Oh, oh God. yeah, it was so funny. But wow. I see. Here's the thing. I love bad movies. Like I love yeah. a good bad movie. Me this too. is not yeah. a good bad movie. This is no, a bad, it's just, bad movie. It's just nothing but bad. That's, nothing but bad. <laughs> on I remember every reading. Level. I remember reading a Douglas Adams uh, quote one time where he said, or it might have been when I actually interviewed him. He said, uh, you know, I, I hate that. I think there was a quote. I, I hate that expression tongue in cheek because it means basically we don't think this is very good. So we're not going to do it properly. And that's that I, that popped up several times when I was watching this movie is it's just it's not even it's not even like, yeah, like Baba Hotep bad where you go and watch that movie. and You're like, this movie's bad. But it's so much fun, and then you go and watch the you know the special commentary on the DVD, and it's like really funny, but it's horrible. Like it's not even like you said, Andrew. It's not even like bad, good, bad. It's just bad, 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 bad. bad, bad. Well, I, I think the big problem with this is that it's an hour and fifty-one minutes. <laughs> yes, long. that was the other problem. And if it was like eighty-two minutes long. Yeah. It would well, still be what, bad. I was watching that scene <laughs> where I just kind of was like, I gave up again. That diner scene where they go to the, the yeah, that's that's it's like yeah. forty minutes long. Holy that's shit! Horrible. And nothing happens really, and then they blow up the fucking thing. And and yeah, just, they should have just cut. They should have cut, cut that whole, the whole thing. 100%. thing. Yeah. It See, I, I disagree yeah. that shorter would make it better, but at least it would be shorter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think if it were shorter, it might. Move more into like good bad, maybe. I, 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 gonna, I was so creeped out by the naked duck lady and the condom and the. I was really creeped out by it. I, was I do have to say, like Leah Thompson is puts in a heroic performance she does. to make you think oh, that yeah. she cares about. Yes. This animatronic duck god bless her person. yeah yes i agree I, I don't think she sells it quite as well as ali sheedy in short circuit i, I was I feel just like thinking of that that was, was just... a there was a big gap there between okay. those two performances but but i do agree uh, she she I, did the best I she think could she's pretty good I, I i know you guys loved ali sheedy in that i she annoyed the fuck out of me in that movie <laughs> i have to admit i don't know if i said that last time but but no I, I, she annoyed me to no end and i liked leah thompson in this I okay. like like I said it was a, it was a heroic effort to make me buy the character, and she's probably the only character in that movie that's actually likable. I'll go along with that. Actually, so speaking of uh, Leah Thompson, so she actually I guess we can get we're almost out of time here, so we can get into some potential remakes. Uh, so she had actually pitched Marvel on directing a Howard the Duck oh, God. movie. But um, but they passed on it. But they but it says uh, that she they they told her that they do have future plans for the character. Oh God! So that don't include so Howard her. The Duck, Howard the help, Duck fans help us all. I, I think don't. I think somebody could make a good movie out of the concept. I just don't think that was anywhere near. It was like they did everything wrong they possibly could in that movie. But I think if you take a character who's like a duck 
I mean, look at Spider Pig from uh, was it Spider Pig or what was the in Spider Man Into the Spider Verse? There was like some crazy Spider Man character or something. Spider Pig is like where That's Homer from Homer Simpson, Simpson has yeah, the pig walking around on the ceiling. No, I know, but there was there was a character <laughs> eerily like that in the Spider Verse movie. I just can't remember what it was. I think it was a, I think it was like a Porky Pig Spider Man. But um, okay, actually, I haven't seen that, so I couldn't. No spoiler alert. But um, but no, I. I I think it could be it could be a fun movie done like in a you know a kid friendly way or done I, differently. I don't know. I think it could be fun. See, I think it should be like a sex comedy. You know, it should be like Animal House or like Porky's or something like you know because like we don't need you know like there's like a million like kids movies like you know like like one of the I saw one of the producers he's like we should have done Ted you know like the sort of you mean like like a, a family guy yeah like a Ted that's exactly what I was thinking of yeah yeah like the sort of yeah. raunchy teddy bear movie like something like you know something like that like you know sort Howard, of like D- Howard the Duck reminds me of like Andrea you you probably have a better idea of this than than most of us like you know when you go and if you've ever seen like a comedy act or you go to like a live TV performance they bring out like the bad comedian to get you warmed up yeah. so that the, the host guy. jokes sound funnier. Like, that's what Howard the Duck sounds like to me, like that bad warm-up comedian. Like, his jokes <laughs> just are flat. They're cringeworthy. They're just like, when are you going to leave to get to the main act? Like, that's that's all I felt. <laughs> well, a good warm-up guy should actually be good. I've known lots of good warm-up guys. Okay. So. Yeah, I... I uh, Howard yeah. is not one of them. No, no, God no. no. No, I was rooting for the monster to end everything. I was just rooting for the end of the world. I was like, please let this be over. It's just like that whole scene, it went on forever and nobody else did anything. Like they, They're literally standing there going, Howard, fix it. And it's like, yeah. why don't any of you people do anything? I know I'm like trying to apply logic to a ridiculous <laughs> duck movie, but uh, it was just – it's frustrating watching – that sort of thing, especially because, and the reason I'm watching that sort of thing and being annoyed by it is because the whole plot itself and the, the story itself is ridiculous, you know? Well, the, the whole thing with him, like, beating up her manager, yeah. like, made no sense. It's like, like he's sense. like a four foot tall duck. Like, it should be, he's like, no, I'll be your new manager because I have a background in the music industry and stuff. Like, that would have made sense, you know, but just for him to be, like, the tough guy who, like, beats everyone up. Because like, yeah, he knew Duck so Fu, weird. yeah, and then and then the quack 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 Fu. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a different. That's a different yeah, martial arts yes, discipline exactly. from poultry. Uh, the I, I also the reason he wins is because it, why? Because he gets on this like electric cart that has a really powerful laser on it that somebody else made. That didn't that didn't make any sense either. But I guess I'm just splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move on from Howard the Duck. So like um, other remakes, uh, Weird Science. Let's see. You gonna remake that? They, yeah, they were gonna talk. They were talking about. Let's. See, I'll just read this. Um, as of 2013, Universal Studios was planning a Weird Science remake with original producer Joel Silver returning. And Michael Bacall writing the film. The film was set to attempt to distinguish itself from the original Weird Science by being an edgier comedy in line with 21 Jump Street and The Hangover, which were R-rated. The studio stated the rating for this Weird Science remake was not certain Mm -hmm. at that stage of the movie's development. However, as of mid-2019, nothing of the remake had materialized. In 2017, Elon Mitchell-Smith, who played Wyatt, um, talked about a sequel to Weird Science starring Channing Tatum. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how that works. So I, uh, I guess it'll be gender flipped, where like they create 
Channing Tatum. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Makes sense. That's I like that idea actually. <laughs> I'm I'm totally into that. Yeah, maybe. Let's see. And then uh, Escape from New York in March 2017. It was announced that Robert Rodriguez would direct a remake of the film with Carpenter producing it. In February 2019, it was reported that Lee Winnell will be writing the script after Luther creator Neil Cross completed a recent iteration mm. of the project. If you, Lee, Lee Winnell did the recent movie, The Invisible Man, which was actually really, really good. I haven't seen, so, I haven't seen it. Me neither. That would be... No, it, it's it's really good. I would definitely recommend Now, that. Escape from New York had a sequel, Escape from L.A., yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was, did, yeah. Was there another one after that? I don't or think no? so. No. I saw Escape from L.A., and I can't remember if it was good it's or not. It's not. It's no, it's not. Okay. Yeah, I remember him surfing yep. on a wave. That's something. that's the only thing I remember about it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah, if okay. you don't remember if it was good or not, it's not good. Probably, probably wasn't. Not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Night of the Comet in October 2018, Orion Pictures hired Roxanne Benjamin to write a sci-fi horror remake of the 1984 cult classic. As of April 2019, Benjamin confirmed she had submitted her scripts for the remake to Orion. What year? 2019. Oh. Well, maybe it isn't, you know, COVID set everything back. So maybe that is, uh, will come, come around. Fingers crossed. So, so Andrea, mm -hmm. are you excited about the prospect of any of those remakes? I, other than the, other than the Channing Tatum one? <laughs> uh, I don't know that I'd say excited. I, I have a problem with remakes. Um, I think it's just like stop remaking movies. How about make new movies? But I'm in the minority here, there. Everything in Hollywood right now is IP. Um, I'd I'd certainly go and see it, you know. Mm. Uh, that's about the best I could say about it. <laughs> I I, I yeah. a, a remake of Escape from New York that would be a good story. I would totally be there for that. With Robert Rodriguez as yeah. was he the director or the producer, Dave? Uh, it says in March 2017 he was announced as the director. I mean, like these things they turn over so yeah. fast, but yeah. he was. At that point, at least, slated to direct it. So I assume cool. Kurt Russell will not be playing Snake Plissken. I don't think so. No, I doubt it. Well, unless it's like, unless they do like a Force Awakens kind of thing where he's like, Pan passes the torch. Or something. Maybe it'll be Channing Tatum. Plissken Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just plug, plan Plissken. Just plug him into Channing everything. Channing Tatum will be, yeah, he'll be Howard the Duck. Yep. He'll be, you know, like, whatever. Um, I mean, I think that Weird Science. I think that you could do a really interesting, especially like I forget who mentioned like internet porn and stuff. I just feel like there's so much stuff with like, you know, yeah, like like sex and yeah. the internet and technology and stuff. I feel like you could do a really interesting story about you know, create yeah, like creating a virtual person yeah. now that that you couldn't have done back in in '84 or whatever. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm I'm with Andrea in that. I I wish that they weren't do doing so many remakes because i there's like you know i think all of us are writers right yeah. and and we're all we're all, right we're all creating yeah. stuff and and um you know i read a lot of uh long and short fiction and there's so much good stuff out there and i just wish hollywood would um you know produce more of that stuff well and, they and well they are yeah. like everybody yeah. who's written something is like selling IP, everything that Hollywood's buying now, the rights yeah. to short stories and novels, because all they want to make is movies based on books, short stories, plays, anything that existed before, because it comes with a built-in audience. Built-in audience. And because yeah. making films is so expensive, they want even the smallest amount of built-in audience, they'll take it. 
Um, mm-hmm. nobody wants to look, you can't sell a spec script, like an original spec script. You cannot sell that right now. Nobody wants yeah. to see it. It's, it's, I, I just wrote a script. It's a rom-com about, <laughs> it's about the, the poet, the Roman poet Ovid. Um, it's kind of like Shakespeare in Love set in ancient Rome. And I had somebody in LA read it for me. And his suggestion was put on the front cover based on, you know, the works of Ovid. So that they think it's IP and they'll be more likely to go for it. And I'm like, that's the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. But also, I'm yeah, but absolutely doing with. it. I'm absolutely yeah. doing it because Good. it's, yeah. you know, and God, you know, if somebody asks me if I have the rights to the work, oh, please, please ask me that. Please. <laughs> Andrew, you have to keep in mind you're dealing with the sort of people who greenlighted Howard yes, the Dog. Yes, I, I am yeah. aware of that. And they have not changed in the last 30 years. It's still a level of, of, of stupid that uh, just is unparalleled. It's Here's me trying to sell my script, and they're all talking about how everybody's a moron. Eh, whatever. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can, we can just return to our... Our typical theme that if people would just hire us, yes. script doctors, thing would be. You better. need a sign, a big yeah. sign that says the script doctor is in five cents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so we're we're pretty much out of time. So why don't we start wrapping this up? So uh, Matt, final thoughts on these awesome eighties movies, science so, fiction movies. So yeah, just like I said, Night of the Comet. I had not seen it before. I lo- I loved it, and I want to watch it again. Uh, the others. Yeah, you know, I, Inner Space was was a funny movie. I enjoyed it. Martin Short was great. Um, you know, I, it wouldn't be the first on my list to do another rewatch. Weird Science again. Um, you know, lots of funny jokes there. Lots of nostalgia. Definitely some problems uh, <laughs> with, with uh, misogyny. So if they do remake it, I think they'll hopefully have to address that. Um, and uh, Escape from New York. Um, Great premise, a little slow in the middle, but, uh, you know, still enjoyable in parts. Howard the Duck, keep, keep that, bur- take that, all the DVDs and CDs and recordings <laughs> and put them in a big pit and pour gasoline on it, set it on fire. I never want to yeah. see that movie again. That was just painful to watch. Yeah. But, uh, the other stuff was fun. So, uh, Tom, final thoughts. Night of the Comet, watch it. Uh, Weird science. Watch it if you're uh, an adolescent, or you're, and you can get, and you can get by the, or you're older, and you can get by the, the, uh, the problems. Escape from New York. Watch it if you're in a gritty kind of mood. Inner space. I'd say watch it if you haven't seen it. Watch it. It's fun. Howard the Duck. Watch it if you're feeling incredibly masochistic, uh, or you know, you just you're just are hating yourself, or maybe not. Maybe watch it if you feel like your life is too good and you need some kind of <laughs> something to bring you down. It's like like the blues kind of. <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, Andrea, final thoughts. Um, I, it, yeah, I mean, everything everybody said is pretty much um, how I feel. You know, Night of the Comet. I, I knew about it. Obviously, I was the one who tried, who sold it to you guys. Uh, and I'm very happy that everybody loved it. And it was exactly uh, as, as much fun as I remember. Um, weird science is a classic in my mind that is super problematic, but still has scenes and lines that make me die laughing. Um, best line in a movie. I still use this line. Anybody with a haircut like that's got to be an asshole. I still use that line. Still. Um, um, 
inner space. I think Tom, you hit it. It's like, it's fun. Um, and you should watch it if you haven't watched it. Um, and where, where was I? Was that, did I get all of them? Yeah, I think you did. I think you, I think you just blanked out Howard the Duck on purpose. Oh, okay. <laughs> Escape from New York. Yeah. It's, it's a classic, but it, boy, does it, it drags in the middle like a dead body. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Howard the Duck. I mean, good Lord. Um, I just, <laughs> that's all you need to say. Yeah. I don't even know what to say there. Uh, yeah. yeah. From the person who loves terrible movies, don't go near it. Don't <laughs> just don't go near it. Yeah, so so definitely uh Howard the Duck, uh Inner Space and Weird Science turned out to be not as good as I remembered. Uh and um you know, Escape from New York, pretty good, and Night of the Comet pretty good. I mean I wouldn't necessarily like rush out and watch them or anything, but um you know, they have their uh they have their moments. And I mean I guess just, you know, people are always like, oh, the good old days were so great. You know, movies were so great, so much better back in the 80s and stuff. <laughs> and sometimes uh, you go back and watch these movies and you appreciate more of what we have now. <laughs> I, I, You know what? You bring that up and I, I agree with that. Um, just watching all these old movies, a lot of what I felt about them is nostalgia. Um, yeah. And I think I remember at one point that maybe it was, it was the um, – the episode we did last time, I, I kept thinking, did chill, child actors get so much better since the 80s? Because every single one of the children in those movies was terrible. Um, I just think in some cases, and, and the movies have gotten better, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like back in the mid 80s, like there were so few people who had access to movie cameras because they were so expensive and everything mm -hmm. like i feel like you could shoot just about anything and it would become a cultural touchstone mm -hmm. i mean that was like right i definitely uh, had that feeling yeah i think there's a there's a survivor bias that goes on too when you think about <laughs> movies from the past that only the good ones really survive and uh and are still like talked about by a lot of people today and you forget about the 99 percent that was just awful in in the same way when I was a kid, I thought all British television was awesome because what we got that came across the pond was great. You know, you got Monty Python, you got Faulty Towers, you got so many great British shows. And then you go over there. I went over there and lived there for a year and watched a lot of their TV. And I was like, oh, no, no, it's just that the good stuff gets across the pond. In the same way, they were like, your TV is brilliant. It's excellent. And I was like, no, you're only, you're only getting the good stuff over here. You're not getting the bad stuff isn't making it. In the same way, the bad stuff doesn't make it from the past into the future as much except in your memory where everything feels good well the only i i agree with that except the really terrible movies you always remember like howard the duck i i, I still knew yeah. it was bad like you still yeah. remember it because it's so awful yeah and it used to play on hbo all the damn time yeah. too they were like let's put that bad movie on again <laughs> good lord but at least at yeah, that so point, you can walk away from it. You had We had to watch this whole thing. Well, there was one right. movie channel. You had yeah. to wait two hours oh, that's, until yeah, the you're right. movie came on. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know where we go from here with these, with these panels because, you know, I, ha I have a list of about 18 movies from the – science fiction movies from the 80s, which are legitimately good. But they're like everyone's seen them 20 times. Did, everyone knows they're good. And Did any of you ever see the movie Dreamscape with Dennis Quaid? Yes. Yes. I loved that. That's a good movie. Yeah. And I was I was almost going to suggest that I know we were talking about watching Cocoon and we couldn't find it. Um, 
Yeah, so that that one. I don't know. I just I don't know, Matt. I just watched that for our panel on dreams and science fiction, and I was oh, you did really? Oh, I remember loving that movie. I I mean, again, it could be like the suck fairy shows up and it's like your memories are not. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Yeah, I just remember. I do remember it being scary. (laughs) Yes, it scared the hell out of me. That 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 uh creature yeah. that looked sort of like a cobra snake yes. in a kid's nightmare yeah. holy yeah. shit I, that freaked me out yeah huh. yeah I, but, um, <laughs> so, I mean come on you're watching so, it you know as an adult it's very different yeah but so but so basically like i don't know where do we go do we go into the like legitimately good movies that everybody knows or do we like go descend further and further into movies that are less and less oh please to please let's good. not watch bad movies i'm i'm so yeah, yeah. i'm so like burned out on <laughs> i mean <laughs> could we do like could we do this could we do like you know good movies that everyone knows are good but do like a theme we could do like you know cheerleaders in science fiction or you know like with that <laughs> well i'm not saying that because i want to watch cheerleaders but although, you know <laughs> well okay I mean. but but just because we yeah. we talked about the the different cheerleaders i was like oh that would be a cool theme uh you know buffy the vampire slayer and then i was thinking of uh, hayden panettiere's character and mm. uh was that heroes, heroes. And, I, and i was wondering if that was inspired by night of the comet and i don't know but maybe there's some kind of theme we could do where there's actual good movies we can we can talk about and that way i get to watch good movies well i was actually going to suggest maybe moving on to the 90s science fiction and fantasy movies from the 90s yeah interesting yeah yeah, there's like uh what is it, hardware? He has a lot. Um maximum, a lot. maximum overdrive. Maximum <laughs> overdrive. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, uh, yeah. If uh, uh, if you're listening, uh, you know, let us post on Twitter and Facebook and let us know which uh, do you want more? Do you want? Should we move into the 90s? What about the 60s we, and 70s? What about that too? Twitter that, again. That's a Twitter question. Would you rather see 90s, 60s, 70s? I I something? kind of feel like the 70s would I. They're terrible. Like I, I mean, not no. all of them. Not all of them. Star Wars, oh. clearly great, but no, no, no. The thing, and Dave said they've talked about the thing and Alien to death on other panels, but those are two. No, that's great right. Alien is the science- seventies. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let us know. We got to. We got to wrap this up. But uh, give us some feedback on where we take these uh, panels from there. Uh, but yeah. But so let's uh, let's wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Matthew Kressel, and Tom Karenzer. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Matthew Kressel, and Tom Garenzer for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it... Tell no one. Thank you for listening.